You're listening to Two Sides of Phi, a podcast that follows two lifelong friends as they seek financial independence and to retire early. I'm Eric, and I'm joined by my friend Jason, who reached Phi in 2020. And this is our story. So, Eric, uh, you know, you recently had one of your sons go off to college, and uh, I don't know if it was that uh, turn of events or other things that have had that become a topic in our household as well. And, and our daughter is going in a year and a half. And so we've been looking at colleges and starting to think about majors and all of that. And Exciting. it got me thinking about all of the known versus unknown costs of those college years, plus whatever follows. <laughs> I mean, we all, you know, plan for a wild success and, and amazing things for our kids. But what if they have a longer ramp to success and we as their parents need to help them out? And, you know, did we really think about that? when We were budgeting for our uh, post retire early years. And of course, that got the snowball rolling of all the other things yeah. that could come up, you know, in early retirement or traditional retirement that maybe we have or haven't budgeted for. And that's where the idea came from that I raised to you of, hey, why don't we talk about uh, surprises that we may not plan for when we think about budgeting in retirement? Yeah, it's funny. My, uh, my mother-in-law has just retired and um, she's facing RMDs, which, yeah. you know, they kick in after 72. And it, it, immediately I was like, well, is that that much of a big deal? It's a big deal. Oh, it can and be a huge deal. It can be a huge deal. And so, yeah, I think there's there's a lot around this. And for you, as someone who's stepped into retirement, you've reached financial independence, and now you have to kind of balance all of these expenses, right? The things on the expense side um, of the balance sheet without income coming in, a regular paycheck, right? So right. I, I'm also curious to know, like, what kind of surprises? What are the things that you maybe forgot to budget for? Um, so, you know, you, we've both developed a, a list here. Lots of overlap in there. Where do you yeah. want to start on this? Oof. I don't know. Should we start with a heavy hitter? <laughs> sure. I think one that is on everybody's mind, and maybe that's a good place to start because people clearly do a certain level of planning for it in the fire community or otherwise, and that's healthcare. Yes. Um, and, you know, that starts with premiums, right? What do our premiums look like? Do we have ACA subsidies and what do they look like? Of course, that gets us down the path of, well, what if that framework changes and there isn't subsidy? And so then I, you know, always start to wonder about uh, are people planning for that is, you know, I, I know my base plan was I get no subsidy. And of course, I think that's you know, worst case, perhaps, but none of us have a crystal ball on, on legislation. So that's one thing that I have on the top of my mind is what does the cost of health care look like? But of course, it's not just about premiums, right? So something that is current for me is I've just uh, signed up for my 2023 ACA plan. Okay. And I went back and looked at, well, should I stay on a bronze plan, should, <laughs> which is what I was on? Should I consider a silver plan? Do that out-of-pocket analysis because I'll tell you what, that is something that can be crazy lumpy year to year. And that's sure. how much you spend out-of-pocket for deductibles and coinsurance. Because the difference between, I mean, you've researched this a lot more than I have, and this kind of speaks to this whole question. The difference between a a bronze plan and a silver plan is it's, re it's really about how much are you expected to kick in as the the plan subscriber versus the 
the insurance provider. Okay. Uh, so, you know, you know, things like well care, right. That's covered out of pocket. There's lots of things covered for children, et cetera, no matter what level plan you're on. But then when it comes to, Oh, I have, you know, I have to go to urgent care for an injury or I need this blood test for, you know, this purpose, all those things on a bronze pan, you're paying out of pocket okay. until you reach your deductible. Okay. And so it does require knowing something about your, what your normal sort of state of health is for you and any dependents you have in your family. But then you have all that other stuff you can't plan for, right? I had a, you know, skateboarding injury or, you know, whatever. I stay off skateboards these days. Hacky sack. But you know what I mean? Yeah, hacky sack injury. Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, so, so you have to make some assessment of that. And, and I feel like people probably do an okay job of that. But, you know, I, I don't know about you, but when I interact with the community, especially I think the younger people are, yeah. the more they sort of are biased as human beings as to base the future on our present. Sure. And yeah. you might be a very low cost healthcare consumer now, but, you know, fast forward 20 years or more, especially if you're an early retiree, you're not going to be on Medicare yet. You're going to have to think about what that out-of-pocket cost look, looks like. Yeah. And I think of, you know, even... The health incidents that have happened in our family, like, you know, um, care can be very expensive if you get a long term illness and medications, things that can be actually life saving medications can yeah. be astronomically expensive. And Completely. you don't think about those things. You don't plan for them necessarily when you're in your real healthy years, especially yeah. and I'm thinking about someone who's like, especially early in their in their journey, like, yeah. or, you know, they're going to retire in their 30s, maybe. Um, that it's hard to really think about and project out to those costs. I know you, you and I are a similar age, right? We're almost 50. Yep. We're getting to this age where we're having all of these diagnostic screenings, all the fun ones. And um, I think about those most immediately. Like what, what would be the difference between like a bronze plan and a silver plan? I presume you've compared some of those things. Like what, is there, is there more of a shared cost if I go to a silver plan? Because the price, the, you know, the premium is going to be higher yeah. But for diagnostic, regular diagnostic procedures. Is that something where I would see a benefit? The biggest differences tend to be in whether a procedure on a silver plan would have a copay yeah. and then you would be covered for many things beyond that copay. Whereas on a bronze plan, you have to, you're responsible you're for the entire, you know, insurance negotiated price out of pocket. Yeah. And so you kind of have to do some math. And I mean, literally I spreadsheeted this out in the beginning. <laughs> now it's a little simpler now because I'm, you know, I know what I've had in the last couple of years, but in the beginning it was, well, how often do we get blood tests and how often yeah. do we have, you know, non well care appointments or, you know, need x-rays or, you know, all these things, because, you know, in the beginning it is kind of, you know, finger to the wind on, what is our consumption going to be like? And for us, it actually seemed very straightforward. It was, you know, despite having this sort of run rate of procedures and, and prescriptions, we were still going to come out ahead on a bronze plan. But we had to accept the fact that if it was one of those years where, you know, Jason ends up in the hospital and has surgery, which absolutely happened right after, uh, you know, in my first year uh, post RE, that's coming out of pocket. And yeah. I'm going to max out my deductible that year. So, so yes to your question, things like diagnostics and that you need to look at that table of copays for like a silver plan versus what would that typical cost be out of pocket. And if you're someone who's younger and, and retiring early, you may not have kids yet. That's just 
if you think about the healthcare healthcare costs associated with that and totally you know i just had a teenager who was in an accident and spent you know some time in the hospital thankfully it wasn't bad but like yeah. i mean those costs can add up really quickly and they so really can it's it's not something you can really forego i mean of course it's a personal choice but man this is a yeah. this is an important one and um, there are we have done episodes on healthcare in the past and so we talk a lot about how you can model out these costs yes and like you said it is pretty personal to your own health history and family situation and what you project and see in the future. You know, if you look down yeah. the road and see that your family has heart problems at a certain age or yeah. some other event that may seem likely, then you have to pay extra special attention to this for sure. The other thing that I think is important to focus on is we're used to, if you're working a W-2 job and you have an employer picking up the healthcare cost, you're not used to necessarily maybe looking at what the premiums might be. So there yeah. is, it's, it's quite expensive. It's, it's probably going to be your largest, one of your largest costs in retirement. Is that right, Jay? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Is it your largest cost? Is my, my healthcare premiums? Yeah. They're not, but only because of the rate of subsidy that I have. So okay. the yeah. fact that we manage our income to the levels we do means that we're able to uh, qualify for a decent level of subsidy. If I was uh, if I was going with my worst case, which is that I had zero subsidy, it would be my second biggest expense other than the full cost of, you know, housing. Yes. Yep. Because you still have a mortgage, right? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So man, that's that's a big cost. I saw so I saw a Reddit thread. Someone was contemplating retiring on five hundred thousand dollars. You know, their total portfolio, and um, wow, they were questioning the cost of healthcare. They're like, how did so? How do I figure out what this is? And I, people were just yeah. saying, well, you really have that. That's really not much room at all to make your yeah. plan work if you talk about twenty five times expenses. And this was a young person, so. Yeah, worth a lot of a lot of focus. Anything else to cover on healthcare? Yeah, maybe just one thing. And I, we have deep dived on healthcare in two separate episodes, so I would definitely refer people to those, and I'll put them in the show notes. But I think the one sentiment I do hear sometimes from especially younger people is that they, they think they're solving only for, and, and we're talking about the U.S. in this case, yep. they're solving up to age 65 when they're eligible for Medicare. And I think it's just important for people to remember that, you know, Part A is for hospital. Part B is for, you know, uh, other clinical uh, work, outpatient stuff that you'd have. But that those don't 100 percent cover all expenses. And, and there are ways to get more coverage with, you know, an advantage plan or something. But, you know, a, a number that I see touted often is that, you know, you can expect like sort of 80 percent of your routine and preventative care to be covered. But if you start thinking about things like dental and vision and hearing, those are not covered by those, you know, uh, those parts of the plan, you can elect to go to Part C, uh, Medicare Advantage and things like that to get that coverage. Part D, of course, is for prescription drugs. I was going to say, that's a big one, right? I that mean, can be a very big one to the point huge. you just raised. And, yeah. and so I would, what I would suggest people think about is at least look into that when you're starting to project your number and what your budget looks like, because it's not just about what you're spending today. It's about what you think you might spend in the future. And I'm not going to sit here to be totally blunt, Eric, and say, I have this thing solved. Uh, honestly, my solution to this stuff is largely to just put some error bars on my healthcare spending. You know, I have this subsidy, but I, my budget assumes I could spend a lot more. Um, and I'm under spending versus my safe withdrawal rate. So for me, that helps me feel good. But to be perfectly candid, 
I have it spreadsheeted out what potential spending could look like year over year. I did add, you know, kind of an increasing cost of healthcare in later years in the safe, free, uh, safe withdrawal rate toolbox, just like in the example Earn has in it. But I mean, that's that's a guess. It's a guess. So, yeah. yep. but I think. You know, just, I guess the way I, I feel good about it is at least thinking about it and putting some buffer in there and, and you know, just being cognizant of it is a good starting point. And I think as long as people are beginning to think about these things when they're projecting, that's kind of where I would leave it for healthcare unless you've got something else. No, nope. I did. It does raise kind of a larger question here, Jay, in that, you know, I know you were someone who did a lot of heavy budgeting before you reached retirement. Now yeah. that you've reached retirement, you know. What does the budget look like? Are you really tracking all of these different things? Because we have a number of different categories here. <laughs> and I look at those and I say, I thought part of the goal of reaching financial yeah. independence was to be a little bit free of this having to track every incoming and outgoing, you know, <laughs> expense. All right. So let, let me explain where I'm at. And 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 if, if anyone, and maybe you remember this, maybe you don't, but a few months back, I... Uh, admitted that I had finally simplified my budget after, you know, some useful prodding from you. I, I didn't quite have the micro level categories that I did before. I put it into much larger buckets, yep. like, you know, shopping. That. Yeah. And that's everything, food, clothing, whatever kind of. And then there's, you know, the really fun stuff like, you know, dining out or, you know, spending money on activities. And then there's like a vacation bucket. So I had, you know, much coarser budgeting happened. And then I would say the other thing I would add is I still have some sinking funds, uh, and, but they're not for these giant ticket items. Some of these things we're going to talk about today, but they're for things like out-of-pocket healthcare spending, um, pet care, which is you know could be swing wildly depending uh -huh. upon how the AG or pets and you know the types of healthcare they need, um, you know things like that. And, and that's you know, just does that just sit in a high yield savings account or where it does? Like, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's certainly things that are routinely spent, like, you know, like pet care, for example, that is actually in, uh, you know, interest checking because I'm spending that from that monthly. But, you know, I on the flip side, there are people in the community uh, who use m much larger sinking funds for kind of, you know, things like I know I'm going to replace the roof someday. And so they put money towards it just to have that mental accounting for that spending so they don't have this giant withdrawal one year. But my budgeting system actually doesn't doesn't account for that type of expense. So that's certainly something we can talk about the merit of or the potential challenge. Yeah, of. I mean that that suggests, you know, home ownership was another category here on the it is. on, you know, things like your roof, things like appliances, you know, upgrades yeah. to your home. Those are probably real costs that you're going to face at one or multiple points within a 30, 40, 50 year retirement, right? So what does that look like for you? Hey, Eric here with Two Sides of Fi. If you've been listening to Jason and I on the podcast, you may not be aware that we also have a YouTube channel. And quite often, we have supporting graphics, charts, information, and even a few outtakes that don't fit well in an audio format. So if you're into that kind of thing, you can find us on YouTube at Two Sides of Fi. 
I would say I'm I'm not so thoughtful as you know Fritz, who we've talked to on the show before. Yeah. Where you know every year he looks at what that home sinking fund, and I'm paraphrasing, I could get this wrong, looks like, and then you know he adds to it annually, right. uh, and he may add more or less depending upon what he spent or not. But like I don't have a roof fund that I just keep putting into every year. My assumption, right or wrong, is that because I am you know, underspending yeah. below my safe withdrawal rate ceiling, right? Let's say it's it says it's four percent CAPE adjusted, uh, and actually it's over four right now. But I am, you know, actually at around three CAPE adjusted. Well, I, I tell myself like, well, that's going to be okay because that one year I do have the lumpy spending. Well, I'll 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 be good. But that's not really how the math works. So I guess I would say there's some risk in that approach. But I've decided that it's okay for things like that. Um, I, I'm sure somebody will have a different take on it. Would love to hear from you, but yeah, I, I definitely am not explicitly allocating funds for big lumpy expenses. Yeah, I, I man, I would not be jazzed about doing that whatsoever. But here's here's yeah. my question about that: um, Would it make you more hesitant to do the work when it actually came time to do it? Like a roof is the, the kind of thing that doesn't usually just fail overnight. That's right. <laughs> you have some sense for you know, when it's becoming a problem, when you're reaching the lifetime of the shingles or the metal or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. So would it make you delay doing those repairs unnecessarily or do you I don't just see that it... as a benefit? Cause then you don't have to, mm. you know, cash in when the market is low or something. I mean, it's I, just, I think you're asking the right question. I, I, I guess here's my answer. Let's see if you think it's satisfactory because I maintain about a two year cash buffer. Yep. I know that I could, you know, fund immediately if needed, expenses up to a certain level. Yeah. And and that's a pretty decent number. And, you know, my rebalancing process that I do twice annually are my normal opportunities to sell from the portfolio and refill that cash. So I guess what what helps me sleep at night is that I have a mechanism to both get cash and then refill it. Might it mean that I have to refill more cash than I might like to on the odd year? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I guess for the present, I've accepted that when I go in and do, you know, minimal modeling that I've done on kind of taking out big withdrawals and then having to sell in a down market, it should be okay. And 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 Lori and I just talked about this last week. She, you know, she explicitly asked me, so what's that? What's that percentage that we're allowed to withdraw by the model? And where are we really? And that's a fair question, right? Did you open that's up a, the spreadsheet. <laughs> I did not open the spreadsheet. We did this verbally. <laughs> if I open the spreadsheet, I'm going to get stuff yeah. thrown at me. But I I did comment that you know, we're this much below it and it's pretty healthy. But the way I think about that is I have, we have buffer built in that should something like this happen where we need to suddenly yeah. do major appliance, re, you know, replacements or, you know, something tragic happens to the roof, you know, we're covered. Yeah. Um, so I guess be okay. for someone who's pre-fi then as you're thinking about these expenses, which you don't want to forget about, you need to think about how to buffer the, if yeah. you're not going to be diligent about budgeting, budgeting and creating sinking funds, create the buffer. And I guess, how do you ultimately create the buffer? Is it just an aggregation of all of these things? Because, you know, I mean, that's some what of this, I tell myself. Yeah, some of this stuff is hard to plan for, right? It is. And I think, <laughs> you know, as much as, you know, uh, you, you have me, you know, kind of correctly characterized as someone who really explicitly budgets and plans for all this stuff, there's still a level of work that I'm not interested in doing. Uh, totally. That's me. Man. You know, I'm yeah. just not. But what I have done is looked at the delta between what I'm actually withdrawing and what I could withdraw and said, well, does that amount, is that likely going to cover, 
you know, most things, right? Uh, and the answer is yes. So I've told myself that's good enough. Um, and so there's I'll just a go with that because most right. years we won't have something like that. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I don't know if that's the right answer, but yeah. it's clearly. I guess we'll find out in five years. <laughs> it mathematically has me convinced it's okay. I, I mean, well, let's put it back to you, right? You're thinking about this stuff too. You're not a budgeter. When you set your number that you and Laura have set, how did you account for big lumpy spendings? You're a homeowner. I mean, just looking at what what's going in and out now, I don't see it change. Like we we spend on big ticket items now. And so we're just averaging it out over the years of, you know, last five, right. 10 years of spending and just say, this is roughly what we spend in a year. And like, it hasn't kept us so far from replacing things as we need them. We've upgraded the house, we've upgraded right. cars. So I'm looking at that as an aggregate whole, a real rough spending measure and saying, this feels about right to me. But there yeah. are a few things in this list that maybe I haven't accounted for. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about a real hot topic right now. Inflation. Right. Oh, right. I mean... How do yeah. you count? I mean, I know when we're talking about the 4% rule of, yeah. th sorry, I should say the 4% rule of thumb, right? <laughs> yeah. Since it's not a rule, but that is predicated on the idea of uh, day one or year one portfolio withdrawal is yep. 4% and then increased year on year for inflation. Yes. Have you been doing that? Great question. In your so, retirement, because that's so, a big number, man. Yeah, right now. in year two, which is the first year, this this calendar year, where yeah. we had this huge increase in inflation, I did not increase my number. And, you know, we also have these, you know, kind of one day a week fun jobs that we draw on a little bit for some money. But honestly, for next year, I am increasing. Oh, okay. It's still not exactly the percentage to maintain parity with inflation. But from my modeling so far... It looks like that should be sufficient to account for the, what I see as our increased spending, even if we both stop this, you know, making this little bit of money that we do. Yeah. Um, so that's what I've done. And, and the way I, I guess I don't know if this is right or wrong, and, and I expect the math wizards to come in on this one. And that's great. It'll help me. But I think about inflation a couple different ways. Number one, what you just talked about. Am I increasing my my withdrawals in concert with inflation or is it somewhat below it? And so far it's been below it. But second, it's when I think about returns over the long term, we know, and, and Bogle and many others have written on this over the years, that mathematically, the real returns after inflation are the same, uh, irrespective of these wild swings in inflation we have. And that, that tracks over 200 years. So I get comfort that we're really talking about long-term math here, not short-term math. But that I don't mean to say that that, that eliminates the real time issues that you can have if suddenly right. things you're relying on, you know, gas, groceries, et cetera, go up 10% and in some categories double that. Yeah. It's something you have to think about. And part of what you're saying is that you want to, for a long-term portfolio, stay invested in equities, which 100%, is, yeah. is the thing. And, and not 100% equity. Sorry, right. that yeah. could be very confusing. <laughs> but yes, you need to stay heavy in equities to whatever your allocation and comfort level is because you need the engine to keep refilling. I mean, part of the difference between you in your situation post-fi and mine pre-fi is, you know, there's certain expenses that I have as a working citizen that you don't have. And, yep. um, you know, I like to keep, try and keep those as minimal as possible, but you know, there's a certain amount of inflation that we're all subject to, right? hundred <laughs> I mean, percent. Yeah. You're not driving a gas car anymore. Thank God. But 
<laughs> I am. And as someone who goes to job sites and goes to, you know, drives all over the place and a, a family who's commuting for work and school and things like that, that's, that's definitely an increased cost. You know, if I heat my house with fossil fuels, that's an increased yeah. cost. You've, you've moved to solar. That's, that's a project right. that I think you did post fi right? It is, but it's, it's money I had budgeted pre fi oh, Okay. Yeah. We knew that we were going to we'll very likely do solar. Yep. So we had allocated some money just for that purpose. Yep. yep. So, yeah. Uh, we also don't have the uh, the expensive uh, high-cost meat in our house, which I know <laughs> is something you have to deal with. I'm sorry. I know it's very important to you, but I've seen the reporting on the uh, inflation impact on uh, on meat. That is a fixed cost for us, man. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to that discussion of elastic versus inelastic demand. <laughs> I mean, that, that could actually impact my health care costs in the future, too. But yes, it could. We'll see. You know, you know, Eric, if it's OK with you, I, I kind of want to go back to where I started uh, this conversation. That's with about your kids and maybe even other relatives sure. uh, that could be in need. You know, th this whole idea of college, and again, this is very much on my mind. Yeah. You know, there are the there are the known costs of tuition and housing and books and all those things that I think parents generally do a pretty good job of thinking about whether they have 529s or not. We know what that stuff looks like, and we think about well, in school versus in state versus out of state tuition, private versus public. But then I start thinking about, well, what happens next? Yes. What if your child is in a field that it could take a while to kind of really establish themselves in? What if they end up back at home? What if you end up with a child or a family member in severe need, right? Whether it's for medical reasons or, or something else, you know, you may have additional expenses that could come up. And I think very few people probably explicitly plan on those because, you know, most of us are optimistic and we assume that couldn't happen, but it could be a pretty big knock on your retirement budget. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, Laura and I have always said that our kids will always have a home with us yeah. and that may require some spending adjustments on our part. Um, it's our expectation that as, you know, people, citizens of the world that they are going to go off on their own and absolutely we, they're not going to make a permanent place in our home but they're certainly always welcome if they need to get back on their feet um so yeah. I, i'm going to be honest here i don't have a great way to account for this uh in my budget yeah how have you well accounted i guess for it? <laughs> the way i think about it and I, I don't think i've said this you know in in you know the minutes we've been talking already but the way i think about it is as long as you didn't set your budget up with like the thinnest of margins yeah. based on where you are today and where you see yourself going, you're going to be able to absorb more or less of this. And and that's, I guess, where my conversations with people who are earlier on their journey, you know, I do ask some pretty pointed questions sometimes, you know, they'll show their budget today, have it very well characterized, honestly, better than we did in our 20s by a long shot, right? I didn't have any budgeting, but and then they make some projections about the big ticket items like healthcare and whatever. And then they say, well, that's the budget. And I'm, by the way, I'm going to withdraw at 4%. And so, you know, then there's a discussion to have about, you know, safe withdrawal rate, et cetera, et cetera. But even then, I think the idea of putting margins of safety on, you know, different categories and, you know, putting some estimates in there that, you know, they're going to get better over time. But I think it's as long as you're not having these razor thin margins of, well, I'm going to get out as soon as I can, as soon as I hit this number and this number is predicated on these things and it's really tight. I think that's where I, you know, I start to get nervous. Yeah. So, no, no I, I, I'm not sitting here telling you I, I have explicitly planned. Well, let's see. There's a 
18% likelihood that my kid drops out of college and needs to live <laughs> at home and it's going to take him 18 months to find work and I'm going to have to fund their grocery, you know, you know not, obviously nothing like that. But, but it does, it, it does raise this question of what is your responsibility as a parent to also raise a child who has some, you know, awareness of financial independence and what it means to, you know, be financially responsible to the family because, yeah, you know, I, I, I feel like we are really, we have been heavy with our kids and in, in getting, forcing them to get jobs, not forcing them, but you know, like encouraging them. Yeah. To get, you, you've strongly encouraged your kids to, yeah, to be get, independent, to get jobs, get to jobs. be able to drive and yeah. get themselves to and from their jobs. And, and that, you know, that extends to getting scholarships and, yeah. you know, so that's all part of being a member of our family and we have that expectation. And I feel like that can also provide some kind of a buffer, you know, that can help in these situations. Not everything has to be a financial buffer either. I mean, they, they can help out around the house. There's, there's tasks sure. that they can pick up that may have been expenses previously too. So I think there's lots of ways to solve this, but 100%. having some awareness around it is, is a really good thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, I think that's the right way to put it. And you know, neither you or I want to sit here and rehash our two part episode on kids that we did last year, but you know, if you think about, you know, I, I, let, let's be let's be frank here. Neither you or I have sat down and done like deep dives on safe withdrawal rate with our kids. This is not what this is about. Nope. But I think the financial lessons and the expectations you set with your family, like you're setting, you know, you're you're building a, a blueprint in there somewhere, and it's it, it's just an understanding about how the world works and how spending works and how you think about the value of money and time. And, yeah. you know, every so often as they age, you get these little glimmers of realization that that stuff sticks. For like, sure. I, yeah. I mean, I had this conversation just today with with my daughter where she said, like, she was talking about, like, you know, she likes to her and her friends like to go to like th they like to go thrift shopping and like get their clothes there. And then they yep. actually enhance them a lot. They do all kinds of sewing and stuff. And she was talking about saving her money to, you know, whatever, spend on clothes. And, and I was like, you know, we are willing to pay for your clothes. She's like, yeah, yeah, I'd rather just rather like take care of it and go thrift shopping. She's like, and who would pay $25 for a pair of pants? Because <laughs> that's ridiculous. I just loved the idea that she thought $25 no, that's cool. for a pair of pants was outrageous. Uh, <laughs> that is cool. But and it, I mean, these themes, like I think back to, you know, times when I was a kid and yeah. the, like money themes, they ring hard. They, they hit they heavy, do. you know? I mean, I think about bringing homemade pop popcorn into the into the theater sure because you know that wasn't really in the budget and there's just like something they something we did you know and i'm sure yeah. lots of other families did that too and and i it, it also works in you know as you're pointing out in reverse like you can yeah we can you know give these positive messages about money to our kids that it doesn't always have to be negative we can't afford that 100 it, it can there are ways to do it so yeah i think that's uh i think we beat that one to death <laughs> hey, Eric here with Two Sides of Fi, checking in with a quick request. Jason and I love making this show and sharing our conversations, but we need your help spreading the word. The best way to do that is to give us a quick rating and review on your podcast app of choice. And if you know someone on the Fi path, please hit that share button on your favorite episode. Every little bit helps. Thanks. Hey, I was going to ask you about you know, stepping in in retirement, right? You got all this free time. Oh, you, tons. You, you got time 
to do whatever you want. No, I know I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> kidding somewhat, but you've got time to fill with all the things you didn't have time for. Yeah. Pre pre fi, right? Like pickleball. I mean, what the hiking? I'm not playing what, pickleball. What are we doing? Hiking, man? Yes. Hiking, lifestyle yeah, creep. Sure. How do you account lifestyle for lifestyle creep? creep? Yeah. And I, I actually love this one because, you know, I, I'm thinking of a conversation I had with somebody a few weeks ago online. They were talking about they're showing their high level budget and their leisure and entertainment budget was so low every month. And I was like, well, what's that about? They're like, well, you know, the, you know, for me, fun is just hanging out at home with the family. I'm like, yeah, but you also have a full time job. And so like that's your weekend and that that's cool. You have little kids. It's great. I'm like, but, you know, interests change. Suddenly you're going to have all this time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not just about vacations, you know, or travel, like what else do you have hobbies? Are you going to start restoring cars? Like, have you thought about anything that's going to increase your spending? And they were like, no, I really haven't. And I'm like, well, it doesn't mean just because you're not employed anymore that you're going to go spend tons and tons of money, but you know, you have hobbies and, and expenses and you need to, al- you need to account for that somehow. And so for me, you know, I think, um, I haven't admittedly, again, explicitly allocated, well, here's my hobby budget, anything like that. I mean, Lori and I have a little bit of fun money every month. It's just for whatever we want to spend it on. But, you know, we recently started backpacking again. And, you know, let's face it, to to have proper gear, even if you're buying stuff used, um, you're spending some money, especially if you want ultralight gear. And, you know, that's not something we explicitly budgeted for. But again, it's the type of expense that comes up when you now have time to do those things you've been thinking about for years and you never got to. And so that stuff does come up from time to time. And um, again, it's another thing that makes me feel good about trying to keep our base level spending lower than it could be. I think back to the episode where we talked to Steven about his budgeting. Yeah. You know, he created a, he's got a fine number and you know, it's based on a pretty modest annual spend and um, he's given a lot of thought, but he's young and I think, okay, he's in his kind of first or second job out of college. And I think, okay, well, what is it? If I put myself back in that position and I fast forward to where I am today and the expectations yep. that I have for vacations, you know, anything, you know, hobbies, like you said, my level of comfort traveling. <laughs> it's not what it used to like. I used to be able to sit in that back seat of that plane, but not anymore, man. In the middle. <laughs> I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, that's I mean, fair. that's the kind of thing that I feel like is hard to, hard to put hard numbers around, um, especially when oh, you're yeah. younger and you like you, maybe you, you haven't even experienced that. And you know, to that same point, you and I are 49. Uh, what does that look like when we're in our late fifties, early sixties, you know, like what things haven't we accounted for? And I, I don't know how to, how to necessarily account for those, but I suppose when you get to that point, your hope is that the portfolio is growing in such a way that support you, you can, you can start increasing the buffer even to maybe account for some of those things you didn't, didn't know you wanted. Well, I think this is such a great point because you know, you, you know, plenty of people, in their 20s or even early 30s, they're like, you know, I like to vacation on the cheap. I'm putting yeah. my money towards our investments because we want to get to five by age 45 or 50 or whatever it is. You know, we're inexpensive. We do car camping and lots of road trips, and that's great. But you don't know if at 50 you might not get into taking cruises. Obviously, a very high percentage of people do. It's not something we enjoy. Um, but I'm not willing to say that we don't have a, a 180 and at age 60, that suddenly starts being a thing. Well, guess what? 
that stuff costs a lot of money. Yeah. Or speaking uh, to the, the, the kids thing, you know, your kids are going to eventually grow up and they're going to have yeah, significant are. others. And they're, what if you decide you want to bring everyone on vacation? You know, yeah. I mean, that's a real thing now. Like that's the thing that Laura and I are thinking about for our kids as they both sure. have significant others and we want to go all travel together. I mean, th those things, I don't think I would have thought about that necessarily <laughs> yeah. like five years ago, Yeah. but now that's coming into focus and you know, I don't know what other things are lurking out there that are like that, but it's, it's kind of interesting discussion for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, there's all, you know, there's the, there's the, the known unknowns and then there's the unknown unknowns. Right. <laughs> right. And, and I don't think either you or I are sitting here trying to say that people should have this grand architected plan that accounts for every possible contingency. But I think the reality is there's just a lot of stuff that can pop up yep. and they're nice things that you will want to do. And it, if you've leaned yourself down so much, you're going to have to take hard choices, I think. And at least for, for me and my wife, and it sounds like you and Laura, yeah. you'd rather solve for a buffer that will allow for flexibility. And that, I guess that makes me feel good about controlling costs as much as we can now and in reasonable ways, right? It still feels good, but or you take another job or side hustle or something like that. I mean, there's, yeah, there's, there's other always, ways. There's always, there's always possibilities. There's ways to solve for it. Right. There hey, are. um, I, it, I was starting to think um, this year I got a big tax bill for my property tax. Totally uh, unexpected. I mean, they did a revaluation that. in the town and property taxes went up 40%. Oof. <laughs> it was like, if I was on a fixed income, I'd be, uh, wow, I'd be pretty, I'd be squawking about that. Have you experienced anything like that? I, I know California treats property taxes much differently than the rest of the world. But. Yeah, they do. No, my ta I've had sort of incremental tax increases, yeah. uh, but nothing, nothing substantial, thankfully. But um, I, I mean, the bigger issue of taxes, I think, is a, a real one to plan for. And as I'm sure you're well aware, there are other things you need to consider. I mean, yeah, like nobody can predict what future legislation is going to do to our tax rates, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and so, I mean, that that is where a, a lot of planning, and I think the fire community is pretty good about talking about Roth conversions, you know, and, and, yeah. and I mean, I think this brings up the bigger issue of where do your assets lie as you step into retirement, early retirement, right? Yeah. If they're primarily in tax deferred, you know, 401ks or, you know, uh, 403bs, Yep retirement plans that people typically have through work, those, you know, the U.S. government's come, gonna come knocking for their taxes at some point, right? And so this is where this whole idea of required minimum distributions comes in, which right now I think is at 72, right? That's right. Yeah, so once you get to 72, you're gonna have to take a percentage of that full portfolio. And Every you're gonna year. Have, you're gonna have to withdraw that. And, uh, and if you don't actually do it, you, or you forget to do it, there's big penalties. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a case where you need to plan how you're going to convert that money over into, typically people convert it into Roth IRAs, right? That's right. And for many people, that's a path that makes sense for us. We are, you know, doing, starting to do Roth conversions annually. Um, but we also don't have these out, you know, giant tax deferred accounts that so many people have where it really is a planning opportunity. I think the guidance I would say is that no matter how early you are in your journey, it's worth looking into these topics that you and I are talking about here. Like, you know, how does asset location affects taxes for what kinds of people, at least with today's legislation, to be fair, your point is, is correct. 
um, for what kinds of people do Roth conversions make sense? And, you know, when you think about your fire number, a dollar in a Roth account is not the same as a dollar in a tax deferred account, like yeah. a 401k or, or a, an IRA. So it's worth thinking about. I think some people agonize about it you know, way on the one extreme. <laughs> and I think that's not a good thing either. It doesn't feel good for anybody. So it's just be aware that taxes have a role to play. And if you don't think about them, you may go from a you may find yourself in a very different tax bracket at 72 than you found yourself in at 71. So it's just planning is is important and you want to be taking steps and talking with, you know, people uh, like, a, you know, a CPA or something like that. If you have any questions that you're not able to get answered on your own. And also, you know, just the awareness of like even a taxable brokerage account, which I know you that's kind of the lion's share of where your assets are right now. Right. Jay? Yeah, that's right. You know, so money that is earned through capital gains, long-term capital gains is treated very differently than ordinary income, you know, yep. or interest income. It's different, right? So that's right. You have to be aware of those things and, um, and, and plan for it. And I, I agree, you know, once you add in this calculus of healthcare and how, you know, earning money, earning income, making Roth conversions, creating taxable events can also affect how much you pay in a year for healthcare. It all gets pretty messy, right? It does. <laughs> pretty complex. And, and you know, for many people in the fire community, they're planning on being the CEO and CFO right. of their home, you know, corporation. And that means it's on you to think about budgeting for expenses, the impact of taxes, all of these things. And it does seem like a lot. And honestly, it's a bunch of stuff. Very little of it is difficult. But there's so much interplay between these topics that it just warrants forethought and just diligence. And, you know, let's be fair. This is why many people choose to pay for either, you know, advice uh, for financial planners, you know, fee only people. And on the other extreme, some people go the full assets under management route because this is not something that they're interested in doing. And as long as you planned for those expenses, well, that might be good for you. But you know, there, there are a lot of things to consider. Yeah. And when you're setting up your plan, I, I, I'm thinking about doing another one of those fee only advisor consultations, yeah. like just to set the plan up. I'm like, okay, here's what I'm thinking for Roth conversions. You know, does this make sense? Yeah. And I, I think, you know, <laughs> we, you know, we've, we've joked on the show about, you know, spending a dollar's worth of energy for a dime's worth of impact, right. <laughs> but flip that around, you know, paying a, a dollar's worth of, you know, fees or a thousand dollars worth of fees to an advice only planner that could give you peace of mind and potentially save tens of thousands of dollars down the road. Well, that's a pretty easy case to make. Give me Leisure. give me the one thing you didn't account for in these first couple of years that you're like, oh, I probably should have put more in the budget for this or has there been nothing? I mean, so far there hasn't, but honestly, the the leisure category is the one I think about the most okay. because yeah. I like to think of all of our buffer, especially while we're younger, right? And I know people in their twenties do not think people almost fifty are younger, but let's face it, <laughs> fifty is the new forty. I feel you. Um, I like to think of being able to consume all that buffer in an annual uh, period for leisure, and I love that idea. And you know, but I do I find myself you know questioning myself sometimes, like, well, how well do I understand? five years from now or 10 years from now where I conceivably will still be quite well enough to travel a lot. And Lori and I love travel. Like, did, did we allocate enough? I have no idea. You know, Where's I thought the was... portfolio going to go. Yeah. And so that's where I do think about like, <laughs> did I 
do my buffers account well enough and the bucket that I have for vacation? Is it big enough? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. I was going to, I was hoping you would say that because <laughs> I have no made, idea. It made me think of uh, this one trip that you took recently. You, I think you went to Germany and you I were, did. you were driving to the airport and you're like, Hey, I parked at so-and-so's house saves me 300 bucks a week. <laughs> It's like, hey, dude, look at your portfolio. What what is that as a percentage of your net worth? Well, look, hey, look, that was a case where a friend was generous enough to offer to have me park at their house. I did not ask to park at their yes, house. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. We could have them on the show and You're ask. You're like, oh, hey, I'm in town to go to the airport. Uh, just <laughs> letting you know. No, no. I all I did was ask about like. What's the current? What's the what's the current skinny on the best offsite oh, uh, airport parking? Even worse. That's all I even asked. worse. Come on, that was a backhand code. ask, jerk. <laughs> anyway, all right, I would offer it up to you anyway, man. So, well, I, I appreciate that. Likewise, if you ever need to fly out of Bangor, Maine. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of my favorite bus station airports in the country. Hey, man, longest longest runway in the uh, on the East Coast. You know, I sometimes forget that. <laughs> I don't know if it actually is. It's just something, just a fun fact I threw out there. That somebody's going to hip check me on on YouTube. I don't know, Eric. When I thought about this topic, it was, for me, it was just can we raise awareness that, you know, we think about these core things, these core needs, um, must-haves, nice-to-haves, et cetera, when we do our budgeting or most of us who do any kind of budgeting for retirement – and it's just, you know, the more I think about it over time, there are just so many things that can fly in and suddenly incur expense. And you can't plan for all of them. Many of them, thankfully, will never impact the average person, but they could. And so the, the simple concept was, let's just get those out there, see what the community, you know, how they comment, because surely they'll come up with, you know, real experiences they've encountered. And if people can learn from those, I think that's a great thing. Cool. Yeah. We'll keep going. Keep on keeping on. <laughs> Join us as the conversation continues next time on Two Sides of Fi. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For show notes, resources, and links to the video version, please check out our website at twosidesoffi.com. Two Sides of Fi.